The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Back on the world stage, President Biden embarks on his first trip abroad ahead of the big G7 summit. Ransom paid, yet another corporate giant bending to the whims of cyber criminals just days after Colonial Pipeline said it did the same thing. Ticking higher, crude continues to bubble up to its highest level in more than two years. We speak with Goldman Sachs' head energy analyst on oil's next move. Meme trade, under fire, U.S. regulators hinting at a new crackdown that could upend markets. And inflation alert. Investors awaiting key economic data that could juice stocks out of their recent range-bound trade. It is Thursday, June 10th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning to you. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today, kicking off this Thursday morning with stock futures pointing to some mixed action so far today. As you can see here, the Dow is implied higher by roughly 47 points. Two point gains implied at the opening bell for the S&P 500 with a 21 point loss implied for the Nasdaq at the opening bell. After being the only major average to finish yesterday in the green, the Nasdaq 100 is now on track for its first five day winning streak of 2021. A close eye on the yield picture as well as the 10-year trades to its lowest level in about a month. You can see there just about 1.496%, so below that 1.5% level that many traders are watching. The big money story this morning is, of course, inflation. Economists expect core consumer prices, excluding food and energy, to have jumped 3.5% in the month of May. That's the highest level since 1993. That number is due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time and comes after headline inflation for April surged, you'll remember, 4.7% year over year, its fastest pace since 2008. Now, in the cryptocurrency world, Bitcoin getting a bit of a bounce as well. El Salvador officially names it as legal tender for the currency in the country. And despite a Goldman Sachs survey highlighting a lack of interest among institutions around Bitcoin and the rest, State Street this morning says it's setting up a new digital division to focus on cryptocurrency to keep up with its customers who have boosted their exposure by, get this, a whopping 300 percent in the past several months. And in meme stock land, the Clover Health trade apparently unwinding just as fast as it began after an 85 percent pop on Tuesday. The stock fell 24% yesterday, and it's down again as you can, well, now it's up again about 8% in the pre-market trade, but you can see just how volatile these meme stocks are. That could be because there is yet another name in the mix now, California-based natural gas company Clean Energy Fuels getting some retail love. You can see they're up about 4% in the pre-market trade. 
after a more than 30 percent surge yesterday. Clean energy fuels, possibly the next meme stock, certainly one that we are watching today. To some of this morning's top stories, China and the U.S. continuing to resume official contact in an attempt to repair trade ties damaged during the Trump administration. Commerce ministers from the countries holding yet another formal phone call, the third of such in recent weeks, with the two agreeing to push forward on trade and investment in a statement. China says the representatives, quote unquote, exchanged views frankly and pragmatically on relevant issues and mutual concerns. No comment from Commerce as of this morning on the particulars of that call. The company behind the Keystone XL pipeline says it's officially scrapping the project, bringing an end to a decade-long controversy over sending more Canadian crude oil to U.S. refiners. The decision had been expected after President Biden used his first day in office to revoke a key permit for the pipeline to cross the country's northern border, effectively shutting down construction. And Facebook is doubling down on its flexible work policies, announcing that beginning June 15th, Workers at all levels of the company can request to work remotely on a full-time basis. Previously, only employees at certain levels of seniority were eligible to request a work-from-home arrangement. Employees who convert to a permanently remote role and end up moving to a different location can expect a pay adjustment based on market rates in line with CEO Mark Zuckerberg's announcement on remote work that was made last summer. Well, futures right now are pointing to a key move, maybe one way or the other, but the Dow is implied higher by just roughly 45 points. Investors are awaiting, of course, that key inflation data set to be released later on this morning. Joining me now is Advisors Capital Management partner, Joanne Feeney. Joanne, inflation, we've been talking about it for a long time. Interest rates have been reacting for quite a bit of time now. Is inflation something that markets should really be scared of right now? Well, good morning, Dom. You know, I think inflation is obviously on everybody's mind uh, with the inflation expectation increase we saw earlier this year. We saw a pullback, particularly in some of those high multiple stocks like the ones that did so well last year. And and we saw that investors had very concentrated positions and they were trying then to rebalance their portfolios. So it isn't just inflation and interest rates that have people concerned. It's that really the change in dynamics in the market, depending on how the reopening uh, proceeds and, and whether you want to be more exposed to the reopening investments that are out there, whether that be banks or industrials or certain areas of the tech market, um, and, and really being uh, cognizant of the fact that higher interest rates and inflation can reduce the multiples on, on very expensive stocks where the earnings really are farther out into the future. All right. So, Joanne, that's certain parts of the market, certain stocks, maybe the meme ones, maybe some high growth technology, comm services type names. But we are still talking about an inflation read from the month of April that was the highest annual level since 2008. And yet the markets really just shrugged it off and put record highs back in place again, even just this week. So do the markets really care about inflation that runs this kind of heat? Well, you know, so far, Dom, the inflation that we've seen really can be explained by a couple of factors. One is that base effect. The fact that we were, you know, compared to last year, seeing higher prices in terms of the level of various things and those shortages, which have been affecting those prices. But the second thing, if you look at the April numbers, is that used car uh, prices were 10 percent higher. And that was also explaining a big part of that inflation number. So when you take out those two components, inflation was actually running at a pretty low level. And so I think investors are 
taking a wait and see attitude. Is this inflation transitory as the Fed is you know, arguing that it will be? Or is there some more persistence? Now, wages have come up a little bit, and that's a bit of a concern. But really, I think investors are waiting to see what the Fed is going to do. Will they start tapering those bond purchases, those security purchases? And how will that affect the interest rates going forward? You know, this time, I think, is quite a bit different from where we were back in 2015, because this time around, we have a really substantial amount of fiscal support uh, behind the growth numbers. Plus, we have just private sector reopening sure. that's causing those growth numbers to go up. So I, I don't think it's as much a concern as it was back in 2015, but clearly it's something investors are keeping their eye on. All right. So you're watching this for investors right now. You're making portfolio decisions because of it. Where where do you think, before we let you go, where should investors be positioned? What types of stocks and companies should they be looking at given that kind of backdrop? You know, we, we like to be in some of the reopening place, the, the banks, for example, the, the big money center banks like Citigroup. But we also like some of the logistics companies. XPO, uh, for example, is well positioned to continue to grow with the you know, ongoing remote work, the deliveries that people have gotten accustomed to, and then also the supply chain. The, the amount of, of a breakdown in where companies produce various parts requires them to do a lot more shipping than they did before. So a company like XPO is a good place to be, but also right. a company like uh, Broadcom. Gotcha. All right, Joanne Feeney, thank you very much for those ideas, and thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Okay, thanks, Tom. When we come back on the show here, a big boost for Boeing as one airline looks to catch up with surging demand, plus a new era for GameStop as it seeks to turn the corner and possibly justify its newfound fame among investors. And then later on, tracking the record-breaking run in crude oil. Goldman Sachs head of energy research, Damian Corvalen, is here to weigh in. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own... trip to Texas. Or if you prefer a vacation from your family, you can always get your own leave the kids with grandma trip to Texas. So go to traveltexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. Stock number one, United Airlines. Bloomberg is reporting the company is in talks to buy at least 100 Boeing 737 MAX jets. United is considering several new fuel-efficient models as it looks to upgrade its fleet and as domestic travel rebounds and as demand is rising. You can see those shares just about flat in the pre-market. Stock number two, Lordstown Motors. Shares are down today after a whipsaw session yesterday in which it fell as much as 20 percent before ending the day flat. That came after the company says it's in active talks with new investors as it tries to reassure the market it has not run out of cash 
to produce its electric pickup truck. Those shares off four and a half percent in the pre-market. And stock number three, GameStop, the king of the meme stocks, naming two Amazon executives as its new CEO and CFO. That was shortly after voting in Chewy co-founder Ryan Cohen as the new chairman of the board. GameStop also reporting a smaller first quarter loss as revenues beat forecasts. But shares are falling as the company plans to sell up to five million shares and disclosed a request for documents from the SEC about trading activity. Those shares off eight percent in the pre-market. Still on deck for the show, tracking the travel rebound, why the demand surge may not be isolated to holiday weekends alone. A.B. Bernstein's Richard Clark is here with the trends and names to watch when Worldwide Exchange returns after this. Today's big number, $4.4 trillion. That's how much the National Retail Federation expects total U.S. retail sales will reach this year. That's an increase of at least 10.5% over 2020. When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own... trip to Texas. Or if you prefer a vacation from your family, you can always get your own leave the kids with grandma trip to Texas. So go to traveltexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. All right. It's 516 Eastern time, and what you're seeing right there is a live shot of Buffalo, New York. And the reason why we're showing you that as the sunlight just starts to come out is sometime within the next half hour to 45 minutes or so, we could be ready to see that big ring of fire solar eclipse that everyone's been waiting for. Again, it'll happen sometime in phases over the course of the next 30 minutes to an hour or so. But again, we'll keep a close eye on that. We'll show you some of those pictures as they come to us here. Buffalo, New York, getting ready for that big eclipse. Well, crude oil is hitting its highest level since 2018 before ending yesterday lower on the day. Fuel demand has fallen in recent weeks with supply jumping in anticipation of the summer driving season. But prices at the pump are climbing, with some states seeing gas prices near or over $3 a gallon for regular unleaded gasoline. Joining us now to make sense of the price movement is Damien Corvalen, head of energy research at Goldman Sachs. And Damien, I, I can tell you this. Over the weekend, Memorial Day weekend, and even in the days beforehand, there were a lot more people on the road than I've seen in a long time. Yes, it's typical of a normal holiday weekend, but are we seeing consumers in the U.S. and around the world demanding more gasoline because things are getting back on track? Well, that's the key question uh, and the key case for higher oil prices. And the fact itself that it resembles a more normal Memorial weekend is already important. And that's what the data shows. People are back to driving the way they used to nearly in the U.S. and increasingly in Europe. So we are indeed seeing that pent up demand, which you know remains domestic and in those two regions for now. But as we go through the summer, we expect to become even broader and include international flying. And that's ultimately the case, supporting higher oil prices up to 72 per brand now, but to $80 in our view in coming months. So, so Damien, uh, what's the primary driver of this? Is, is, it, is it 
companies, corporations, governments kind of demanding more more fuel because things are getting back going again? Is it a consumer demand at the retail level because of that pent up travel demand, like you said? And if it's the latter, how sustainable is it? Is it a draw forward effect? Do people get their travel fixed and then just kind of drift back off again to to kind of normal ish conditions? Yeah, so there are many drivers, right? And I think first and foremost is uh, comfort of people um, to move around following higher vaccination rates and following COVID cases. And in the case of Europe, it's actually governments allowing you to finally uh, drive again. So, you know, it's just a return somewhat to a more normal lifestyle. It does include some commuting. Um, in the case of the U.S., going back to school in the fall will actually add another layer of the demand recovery. The second component beyond just daily lives returning to somewhat more normal mobility is travel, right? So there is indeed a significant pent-up demand for travel, um, but it is still, in terms of flying as a best proxy, well below where it used to be. And so when we see this recovery, and it's about 30% recovery in jet flying globally uh, since the trough in March, you know, we think there's a lot more to come. Uh, flying ultimately is still roughly... Uh, halfway to where it was uh, in 2019. And we may not not get all the international travel back. But if you look at airline bookings, for example, travel booking, the summer feels a lot more normal um, in those DM countries. And that's a big next uh, impulse for oil demand. So we're not overshooting. We're not bringing forward future demand. We're really just starting to normalize um, to past behaviors, which we broadly think will hold. Um, in fact, when you take into account the increase in consumer income, uh, disposable incomes and savings, you can actually make a case that this could be a remarkable ramp up uh, in travel uh, going forward. So, so Damien, you, you mentioned starting to normalize. That implies what some would call the early innings, perhaps, of a trend or a, or, or a game as well. If you really believe that we are in the early stages of a fuel demand recovery, where does that put West Texas intermediate crude prices, where does that put Brent crude prices in the next six to 12 months? Higher. Uh, We think the demand recovery is definitely top of mind uh, in the oil market. Uh, But we think the remaining increase uh, that can take place in the summer uh, is still underappreciated. So, you know, through the winter, we probably were stuck at 95 million barrels per day. And we're there all the way through May. And by that point, it felt like a disappointment especially with the big surge of cases in India. But just over the last month, global oil demand has increased at least a million and a half barrels per day. So we're at 96 and a half. We think we're going to 99 million barrels per day by the end of summer. So that big demand increase uh, will take place in face of still relatively inelastic supply, drawing inventories further, pushing prices higher. Um, Our forecast for Brent for this summer is $80, and for WTI, $77 and a half. So you know, more than 10% above current prices. Uh, what's important to finally keep in mind is, you know, the case here really is drawing excess inventories. And once physical markets are tight, as we've learned already this year in some key markets like steel, um, you know, prices actually can overshoot to the upside. So I think it's really this big drawn inventories that's demand led. That's the key driver to where we are and where we're heading in terms of oil prices. All right. Damien Corvalen over at Goldman Sachs. His call is higher oil prices over the next six to 12 months. Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines as well. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good Thursday morning to you, Philip.
Hey, good Thursday morning to you, Dom. The United States has taken a major step toward helping vaccinate the world against COVID-19. The White House is expected to announce today it will buy 500 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine to donate to countries around the world. Three people familiar with plans told The Washington Post about that announcement. Just days before the fifth anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting, the U.S. Senate has passed the bill to officially designate the Pulse nightclub as a national memorial. The legislation passed unanimously on Wednesday, and this Saturday will mark five years since 49 people were killed in the mass shooting at the Orlando Gay Nightclub. Congressman Darren Soto, who introduced the bill, thanked the Senate on Twitter for taking action. The bill will now head to President Biden's desk. And there is something that will burn, burn, burn the skies early this morning. The ring of fire solar eclipse will be visible in just minutes right before 530 Eastern while the sun rises. NASA says the partial eclipse can be seen in parts of the southeast, northeast, midwest and northern Alaska. And if you miss it, NASA is streaming it online. So it's something to look out for. It's happening right about now, I believe, in New York, Dom. Uh, 5.32 a.m. is about as good as it's going to get. Our friends in Canada have a much, much better view. We, so, Philip, we've been showing some live shots of Buffalo, New York, not far from the Canadian border. Just, just kind of give people an idea of what they're seeing. As you can see right now, this is a live shot coming from New York City. So you are already seeing that ring of fire eclipse kind of starting to take hold. It looks like a crescent moon right now. The sun does. But we could see, again, that kind of ring that looks like, you know, the Lord of the Rings, Sauron type looking situation in the in the coming minutes. So, Philip, certainly something that we're all watching here as well. Yeah, it'll last about for four minutes is what we can expect, Don. All right. Four minutes for sure. Fun stuff mm -hmm. to watch there. Philip Menon, thank you very much for that. Ahead of the it. show, a live report from the U.K. where President Biden is set to meet with Prime Minister Boris Johnson later on today. Our own Steve Sedgwick is on the ground live with a report on those talks. And if you have not already done so, please subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or whatever your podcast app of choice is. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Party like it's 1993. Investors awaiting key new economic data that could tip the Fed's hand when it comes to taking its foot off the easy money pedal. Move over GameStop at AMC. There's a new meme stock in town getting some retail investor attention. But how long can that love affair last? And a critical month ahead when it comes to infrastructure. Former Transportation Secretary Rodney Slater weighs in on the state of the talks and challenges that lie ahead. It's Thursday, June 10th, 2021. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. And here is how stock futures are shaping up as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. It's a bit of a mixed picture right now. Certainly uh, one where we're hovering near record highs, but the Dow is implied higher at the opening bell by roughly 45 points. 
about one to two point gains implied at the opening bell for the S&P 500 and just about 28 point losses for the Nasdaq. We are watching, of course, what's happening with yields, interest rates on the 10-year Treasury note trading near their lowest levels in about a month, now currently just a hair below 1.5%. That's a level that some traders are watching right now. The big money story this morning is, of course, inflation. Economists expect core consumer prices, which exclude food and energy, to jump 3.5% in the month of May. That's the highest level, by the way, since 1993. That number is Due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time and comes after headline inflation for the month of April surged 4.7% on a year-over-year basis back in that month. That was the fastest pace since 2008. Now, in the cryptocurrency world, Bitcoin getting a bit of a bounce as El Salvador officially names it as legal tender currency. And despite a Goldman Sachs survey highlighting a lack of interest among institutions around Bitcoin and the rest of the crypto space. State Street, by the way, this morning says it's setting up a new digital division to focus on crypto to keep up with customers who have boosted their exposure by a whopping 300 percent in the past several months. And in meme stock land, we continue to watch, of course, AMC and GameStop and BlackBerry and the rest. But a closer eye on Clover Health as well. That trade apparently unwinding just as fast as it began. Remember, after an 85 percent pop at one point on Tuesday, the stock fell 24 percent yesterday and is right now down and up in the pre-market overall. You can see Clover Health up six and a half percent in the pre-market trade. Now, that could be because there is yet another new name in the mix for meme stocks. We're talking California-based natural gas company, Clean Energy Fuels, getting some retail love. You can see up about 4.5% in the pre-market. After a more than 30% surge yesterday, Clean Fuels, Clean Energy Fuels, may be the next meme stock to watch there. Also making headlines today, the U.S. chief of meat supplier JBS says his company has paid $11 million in Bitcoin to end a ransomware attack and avoid more disruptions to operations. Last week's attack by cyber criminals knocked offline plants that process about a fifth of the nation's overall meat supply. Meantime, crane company Manitowoc says it experienced a systems outage due to a cybersecurity incident. The issue is causing disruptions for its businesses. Federal law enforcement has been contacting, and Manitowoc is working to restore its systems overall. And in Washington news, Democrats are talking about antitrust bills that could reshape big tech business models. This follows a more than year-long investigation by a House antitrust panel into the likes of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. According to copies of drafts obtained by CNBC, the bills would significantly limit the ability of any of the four companies to complete larger mergers, raising the cost of filing for clearance and require them to make it easier for users to leave their platforms with data intact. And SEC Chairman Gary Gensler says his agency will review some market rules following the recent meme stock frenzy. He told an industry conference the SEC will examine things such as the increase in online brokers and the role high-speed traders play in executing those orders by small investors. Well, to this morning's top story, President Biden looking to reassert the U.S. on the world stage in his first overseas trip as president, meeting with U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson today ahead of the big G7 summit. The two already agreeing on a new Atlantic charter covering technology, trade and travel. 
CNBC's own Steve Sedgwick is on the ground for us. He joins us live. Steve, good morning to you. Can you take us through the state of play right now? How are things looking in relations between the U.S. and the U.K.? Yeah, it's a great question, Dom, and uh, it's good to be with you today. Yeah, I think relations between uh, the U.S. and U.K. have been and are in a very good place as well. But, of course, relations between Joe Biden and Boris Johnson, well, they could well be challenged, of course, because uh, Boris Johnson uh, seemingly had a very good relationship with the previous administration, with Donald Trump. uh, And previously, Joe Biden had uh, thought that Boris Johnson was some form of uh, Donald Trump clone on this side of the Atlantic as well. So that relationship is absolutely key. But it does seem, as you say, with this inauguration of a new Atlantic charter, which originally, for our viewers, uh, it was uh, came about in August 1941 between FDR uh, and Winston Churchill as well uh, to reinvigorate the international system and to, to fight back against authoritarian nations as well. Very interesting that Boris Johnson and Joe Biden should be using that uh, as a metaphor for current times. But there's a huge number of challenges to overcome on this visit of the president to Europe as well. He's not only meeting at the G7, he's got a NATO meeting, he's got an EU-US summit, and we know that those sometimes haven't gone too well. But what is very interesting, at the end of his visit, He's going to Geneva and he's going to meet with perhaps uh, a man who could be one of America's largest foes at the moment, and that is President Putin as well. Uh, And the president, Mr. Biden, has already been talking about relations between the U.S. and America and uh, Russia. We're not seeking conflict with Russia. We want a stable, predictable, predictable relationship. Our two nations share incredible responsibilities, and among them, ensuring strategic stability and upholding arms control agreements. I take that responsibility seriously. So it is the first uh, visit of President Biden overseas since he was inaugurated as president. And the issues are absolutely enormous. Not only the relevance of the G7, which we have rightly questioned many times over the years because you've had these great communiques, uh, Don, which have actually failed to deliver. But obviously pandemic response, uh, climate change is going to be another big issue. We've already had, we think, in the last week or so, uh, the frame of a tax agreement as well. And indeed the relevance of Western nations in what is seen as the the threat, of course, uh, from other nations, not only Russia, uh, but also also China. And that'd be very interesting if the Western nations can come to some form of accord, Dom. Accord is the key term there. I'd like to, I mean, just just to kind of pick your brain here, Steve, there there are certain elements, there are certain issues where the U.S. has a shared interest with key allies as well as the rest of the world. Are, Are there certain points that the president can get across? Are there certain things that can be made with regard to policy, at least in the initial stages, with things like COVID pandemic response, with things like perhaps global taxes, that sort of thing that could resonate with those people in those countries that have perhaps not had as good of a relationship over the course of the last several years with the U.S.? Yeah, all of the above are very important as well. On the tax front as well, I would say more progress has been made in the build-up to this meeting than in many meetings I've been to previously. Let me give you an example. I was at the G8 when Russia was still in the the G movement uh, in 2013 in Northern Ireland where Mr Obama was there as well and David Cameron was the Prime Minister. There they talked about the three Ts, tax, trade and transparency. Well, nothing really happened. But in the build-up to this meeting, it looks like Janet Yellen and Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer here, and the other members of G7 have got the bare bones of an agreement. They can take to G20 and perhaps then uh, have a a global rollout of minimal global taxes. So that's very interesting. They've already got some accord there. In terms of agreeing common patterns with uh, other countries, i.e. how the West responds to China, well, that's going to be more difficult because whilst in principle uh, 
Europe and the United Kingdom. They do agree with President Biden about the threat of China as well. You've got to remember, for countries such as Germany and the United Kingdom, China is their largest single trading partner. So, yes, all these countries will share their um, criticism of China's treatment of the Uyghurs, uh, of the democracy movement in Hong Kong, uh, of Chinese um, aggressive actions in the Southeast, uh, South Asian seas and what have you, in South China seas. But the fact of the matter is, because of those trading relationships, it becomes more difficult. Very quickly on the COVID um, pandemic response as well. Yes, the US um, rollout of vaccines has been very successful, as it has been in the UK. It looks like we're going to see quite a big initiative in the next 24 hours, which is going to say the West is going to start supplying billions of doses of COVID vaccines uh, via the COVAX scheme, which the World Health Organization is running uh, to developing nations, to African Union countries as well, uh, because, of course, very important that these countries also get vaccinated. Perhaps there, there is some criticism over the delay of these vaccines getting to these countries. A lot on the agenda for sure. Steve Sedgwick live in Cornwall in the UK. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Now, what we're going to show you happening right now live on your screen, what's being called the ring of fire, the solar eclipse where the moon partially blocks out the sun. This eclipse is an annular eclipse, meaning the moon is far enough away from the earth that it appears smaller than the sun. It is visible at least partially in the northern hemisphere because this is a solar eclipse. You should not, of course, look directly at it. Use special glasses or goggles made for events like this. But this right now is a live shot in Boston. We showed you the sunrise over there in Buffalo, New York, earlier this hour. But you can actually now see a lot of that movement happening. This is a a, a view again. 5.38 Eastern time in Boston. You can see that kind of crescent shape happening right now. The Ring of Fire solar eclipse. We'll keep an eye on that, of course, in the coming minutes as well. Well, back on the home front, President Biden is now pinning his hopes for a potential infrastructure deal on a group of 10 centrist Democrat and Republican senators. You can see them right there on your screen. After pulling the plug on his talks with Republican Senator Shelley Moore Capito earlier this week, But some Democrats are already dismissing the bipartisan approach, suggesting it will likely fail. For more now, I'm joined by Rodney Slater, former transportation secretary under President Clinton. He's now a partner at Squire Patton Boggs. Mr. Secretary, I wonder if there is any kind of hope for a deal on this. I mean, I want to think that there could be something as big as the Eisenhower Interstate Highway kind of act, the, 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 the whole project there. But I don't feel as though this is something that can happen in my lifetime. We've been talking about it for so long. What's the biggest hurdle to getting a deal done? Well, Dom, I think as long as they're talking, there is the possibility. And as long as there's a possibility, there should be hope. Uh, I'd like to commend the president for being uh, visionary here and offering a big and bold plan, something for the members to actually contend with, grapple with. Uh, debate, discuss, and hopefully bring to uh, closure with the kind of bill that uh, represents what you're talking about, an Eisenhower era uh, measure that really focuses America on the future. That's exactly what the president is trying to do. He wants this new measure to be one that uh, represents resilience, sustainability, equity uh, when it comes to infrastructure investment, and one that allows us to compete on the global stage. So I'm still excited about the potential for a bipartisan bill and one that is uh, big and bold and uh, one that meets the responsibility and the challenge of this hour. Well, I mean, so so let's talk about this, because because these talks have been happening in some way, shape or form 
for decades. That's, that, that's, that's literal now. It's been decades people have been talking about this kind of a move here. Let's harken back to your time at the Federal Highway Agency as Transportation Secretary. What exactly is the, the big hurdle here? It seems bipartisan. We should all be spending money on improving roads and bridges and tunnels and bringing our infrastructure back up to speed. Why can we not get a deal done? What's the biggest roadblock to this? Well, Dom, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, a time when we did get a large measure passed. Uh, actually, a very important sort of gift to the Clinton administration was a major piece of legislation that passed uh, during the Bush administration, bipartisan. Then we had the opportunity to reauthorize that measure and were able to add uh, additional funding to it uh, that allowed us to move now for more than uh, 30 years, move forward. But we haven't moved forward in the way that we should have. We need high-speed rail. We need to now focus on electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, and the like. We need to shore up and strengthen the sustainability of our uh, transportation infrastructure system. I know that uh, Secretary Pete uh, Buttigieg was just in my home area of Arkansas, Tennessee, at the uh, Mississippi River looking at a bridge that is now out of service because of a crack in the structure. Uh, we need to address these kind of challenges, not only in the middle of the country, uh, but we've got the Brent Spence Bridge. We've got major infrastructure facilities across this country that need to be addressed. And the members have to be challenged to step forward and meet, again, the challenge of the uh, of the president at this time. We're looking for the Moynihan's, the Chafees, the John Warners. We're looking for the kind of leadership that we had in those days from uh, uh, um, uh, a Manetta, from a Schuster, from a uh, uh, John uh, Hammersmith uh, and others uh, on the House sure. side. I think we find that. And I think if the ch if the president continues to uh, move forward in a visionary way, we'll get there. We have just a few seconds left, Mr. Secretary, from one secretary to another. What's your biggest piece of advice for Secretary Pete Buttigieg on the transportation front? Well, it's to just stay as calm as he is, to stay as engaged as he is and to really lean on not only his team, but the career staff at the Department of Transportation to reach out, to actually use the skills that he's developed as a mayor. Uh, mayors don't look away. Mayors look at problems. They realize that the obstacle can be the way, and he needs to take this moment as it is, deal with it as it is, keep everyone engaged, and continue to be the kind of um, advocate uh, that the president has uh, challenged him to be. All right. Rodney Slater, thank you very much for your thoughts and insights. We really appreciate that, sir. And as you guys thank just you. saw, the ring of fire in the corner of your screen there getting more like a ring right now at this stage. Well, coming up on the show, tracking the travel rebound and the names investors should be watching as the summer nears. But first, as we head out to break, some more big money movers this Thursday morning. Shares of RH are popping after the home furnishing retailer reported better than expected first quarter results. The company, formerly known as Restoration Hardware, also raising guidance for the full year. It cites several catalysts for continued strength in housing and renovation projects, including low inventory and modest interest rates. RH up 6.5% pre-market. You may have to bring your own cup the next time you visit Starbucks. The Wall Street Journal reports some locations are running short on basic items like cups and coffee syrups as the chain returns to full operations in the wake of the virus pandemic. A spokesperson says the shortages are temporary, but Starbucks has removed oat milk from its app until it restocks inventory. Starbucks flattened the after-hours trade. And Tesla has gone plaid. The company is holding an event at its Fremont factory tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern time to deliver the first plaid version of the Model S vehicle. 
Elon Musk has said the car can go from zero to 60 in less than two seconds. The event will be live streamed for those who aren't able to snag an invite. And by the way, Platt, of course, refers hat tip wise to the movie Spaceballs. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The TSA now consistently processing more than one and a half million travelers per day and nearly two million this past Sunday. That's a far cry from where we were just about a year ago, but still a long ways to go compared with 2019. We're still nearly one million travelers off where we were then. Here are the latest figures from Tuesday from the TSA. You can see there 1.56 million versus 2.43 million traveler checkpoint numbers back in 2019. With more on all things travel, launching and more, joining me now is A.B. Bernstein, Managing Director Richard Clark. So we know that the travel trade has been the reopening play. It's been, in, in many cases, the biggest reopening trade that you could have made is it able to be sustained? Can we still see the kind of momentum that we've seen given the run-up in these hotel, cruise line, airline stocks over the course of the past several months? Yeah, I mean, I believe for, for the best stocks, yeah, absolutely, you, you can uh, say that. I mean, we're really only at the beginning of the summer in, in the U.S. We've got a lot of reopening to come um, in Europe um, still to come. And then we're going to have the return of, of business travel. So in terms of catalysts, in terms of momentum, in terms of good news, yeah, I think there's still you know, plenty still to play out. I mean, we're hearing great numbers for weekend days, uh, um, 90% occupancy at some hotels, but the midweek is still... 30% down. So there's there's still definitely reopening to come. So Richard, I, I just got back from a family, family vacation and, and over Memorial Day weekend. We left on Saturday of Memorial Day weekend and the plane was jammed like sardines, totally full. But when we came back, my plane was probably maybe 25 to 33% full. I had six rows to myself in the back of the plane with my family. Is that kind of dichotomy what you're talking about right now? Are, are there just certain times where you can expect high traffic and other times when things just die off? Yeah, I mean, I suppose what you've got there is probably the day you flew out is really the, the first day of summer for a lot of families. A lot of schools are broken up in the U.S. And so you've had a lot of demand both for the weekend travel, but also for multi-week travel for the beginning of those summer holidays uh, Yeah, when you fly back. You know, normally that transition back would probably be a combination of, of leisure and business travel. And that's just a clear sign that the business travel is still to come. And certainly the flying business travel is still to come, um, whereas the drive to is, is, is a lot stronger at the moment. And, yeah, I think that's what you'll see. You'll see for holiday weekends, a lot of demand. Um, and the, the, the business travel, you know, that's still to come. Uh, I think we can see in places like China, some parts of the U.S., it's, it's on its way back. Um, and then you've got the rest of the world. I mean, Europe, a lot of countries in Europe, hotels are still 10 to 15 percent full. Um, so you've got a lot sure. of a lot still to go in, in mainland Europe. All right. So so let's let's put a point on this, Richard. I mean, you, you make recommendations. Where should we go in terms of investing? Is it is it hotels? Do they have more runway here? Is it the airlines, cruise lines? What's poised to outperform the most over that travel sector? Yeah, I mean, with, with the hotel, the hotel and, and, and online travel agent um, um, analysts. I mean, what I think we're seeing is, we're, for us, we're seeing some of the power of the brand, um, the promises, the clean promises that the likes of kind of Hilton and Marriott, a core over in Europe, can can bring is making them more relevant to, to leisure customers than it ever has been before. Uh, and I think a surprise to many in a leisure forward market is that the brands are gaining share. 
Um, and so therefore I think that's, uh, you know, that's one powerful tool to, to, to go for. We're a little bit more cautious on the online travel agents, um, given the fact that I think people would expect them, you know, their stocks have done better because they expect them to benefit from leisure. Um, whereas actually in our view, this has been a chance for direct travel to show, uh, the direct bookings to show some of its value, uh, encourage consumers to go and book direct rather than through an aggregator. All right. Hilton, one of your top picks out there. Richard Clark at A.B. Bernstein, thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much. We're back after this break. Keep it right here. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, getting ready for the trading day ahead. Let's bring in now Greg Branch, founder and managing partner at Veritas Financial and also partner at 1847 Financial as well. Greg, let's talk about the market's near record highs at this stage right now. Are there still places that you can find upside and value in this kind of a market? There are. You're going to have to be patient for it. And so when I look into the back half, there are sectors and companies where consensus is expecting 60 to 70 percent of pre-pandemic earnings power. And I think that that's more likely to be 90, if not 100 percent. And so we will see that performance trigger. uh, We will see that the earnings upside trigger performance in the back half. Uh, It won't be a multiple driven performance. It will be an underestimated earnings driven performance. So where is that underappreciated earnings story? Is it in some of those reopening plays that we've already seen run so high, like airlines and cruise lines? Is it other places in the industrial complex that could benefit from a growing economy? Is it the materials companies that could maybe benefit from infrastructure? I kind of feel like many of these names, Greg, have already run a long way in a short amount of time. Some of them have, and you're exactly right. I do like some of the sectors that you've named where, again, we've gotten the multiples in line to where they're average to above average, but the earnings are just light. And so when you look at specialty companies like DuPont that can actually take pricing, they're such an intrinsic part of their customer's end process, they'll be able to pass along the inflation that we're all discussing right now. There are certain sectors in uh, travel, leisure, uh, that have a very powerful outlook for the year, such as casinos, p- particularly those that are exposed to Asia. I'm actually staying away from things like airlines uh, where we don't actually know what the business model looks like. We don't know if that business traveler is coming back and coming back en masse. We don't know if they're coming back at pre-pandemic levels. Uh, I, like so, so I like certain growth stories as well, uh, things like Zoom, uh, where we are waiting to see, they're approaching some very tough compares, and we're waiting to see how much of the, that COVID gain was sticky. Uh, I like things that are in IT, uh, the IT infrastructure cycle, the IT spending cycle, where, again, when you look at cloud businesses, we're waiting to see how much of that is sticky and how much momentum they still have, and I think the street is underestimating that. And digital advertising is certainly kicking off a, a growth cycle here as well. All right. So with that in mind, just a couple seconds left here. What was what's the place you would stay away from the most? Stay away from the most things that are prone to inflationary pressures. And so those sectors that cannot take pricing, that have expanded multiples and that we just don't know what the business model looks like. And so airlines fit squarely into that on the cost side with fuel. We don't know where that's going and we just don't know if their bread and butter from a revenue perspective is coming back and when. Sure. All right, Greg Branch, thank you very much for your market thoughts. We appreciate it. Have a good day, sir. Thank you. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We are still watching that ring of fire eclipse right now. It is kind of, you can see they're kind of just moving out. That crescent has now become a fairly 
decent sized, big, big crescent, almost full at this point. So keep an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on those for sure. Have a great day. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage, and it's coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own... trip to Texas. Or if you prefer a vacation from your family, you can always get your own leave the kids with grandma trip to Texas. So go to traveltexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours.